You are listening to the You Are Techie podcast, episode number 28. Welcome to the You Are Techie podcast, where it's all about growing in your techiness so you can find the tech job of your dreams. And now your host, technology learning coach, Ellen Toomey. This podcast is sponsored by our all-new course, What Tech Job is Right for Me. Visit us at yourtechie.com start to check out our new course and find what tech job is right for you. Eric Guffrey is the founder and CEO of Fugitive Labs. He's a self-taught developer with over a decade of experience in building production-level full-stack applications. His day-to-day includes client spec meetings, development, and hiring developers. He taught himself to code in 2008 to build out his first startup, a mobile payments infrastructure company. That was just a little too early. He worked at a hedge fund, building high-frequency trading algorithms before getting back into code in 2012. He did that as the head of engineering and product at an e-commerce startup. He holds two patents. One on reusable adhesives based on gecko physiology, and the other a document protection quasi encryption scheme that spun out of his mobile payment startup. Eric has a ton of experience and knowledge, and we're so excited to have him on the podcast. Eric, welcome to the show. Hi. <laughs> All right, <laughs> let's jump in and tell us about your career. How did you start out? I gave a little bit of the high level, but dig into sure. what got you to where you are now. So I have one of these uh, kind of meandering career paths where I was an undergraduate um, in mechanical engineering, but never practiced as a, as a ME. I, uh, when, when I graduated, um, I had a childhood dream of, of going to live at a ski resort for a little while. And so my now wife and I moved out to Aspen, Colorado, intending to, to ski bum for a, for a season and ended up staying for two years. After two years, we decided, we kind of woke up and we're like, we need to leave now or we're never going to leave. <laughs> um, so we moved back to the East Coast. We were, got engaged and moved back to the East Coast. Um, and I ended up stumbling into uh, commercial real estate and private equity. And then in 2008-ish, 2008-2009, I had uh, an idea. I was I was in line at a Walgreens filling a prescription, and I had left my wallet in the car, but I had my phone in my hand, and I was like, why can't I just make a payment for this prescription <laughs> from my phone? It was an old BlackBerry oh, yeah. phone. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, light bulb went off, and uh, so that kind of got my interest in the engineering stuff back again. Um, and I, I've, you know, I've been entrepreneurial my whole life. My, my, uh, my first business was selling mixtapes in middle school. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I did, I did t-shirt screen printing in high school. And, and so anyway, this was, this was all kind of always a part of me to try to start my own thing and, and build that. And, um, you know, being in a mechanical engineer, I'm very like, uh, tactile by nature and I wanted to touch and feel stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, didn't really see the appeal of software 
-hmm. until I started working on this project uh, for mobile payments. And I realized that like the feedback loop and software is so tight that I can, you know, I can like write, write something on the, in the code and just see it on the screen immediately instead of having to wait for, you know, do designs and wait for somebody to go mill it and bring it back. And it just takes forever in, in, in the physical world. Mm-hmm. Um, so that really got me interested in software and, and, um, startups in general. Um, I had a chance, a pretty close chance, um, to get a major grocery store in line to use my system as mm-hmm. their, as, as a way to make payments through their, their rewards program. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, that ended up falling through and I was just kind of looking for the next thing. And then I got hired as a, um, to implement trading algorithms for this boutique hedge fund, um, moved to, uh, the triangle, North Carolina to, um, join the, that e-commerce company we started mm-hmm. and that one, uh, so I helped run product for that and I had hired a few, several engineers and, um, that startup folded in 2012, 2013, sorry. And one of the engineers that I hired, he and I had become pretty good friends and um, we were trying to figure out what we were going to do next. And, and a friend of a friend reached out and said, Hey, I need an app built. Do you think you can help me do that? And I was like, yeah, I can do that. We finished that app. Somebody else had kind of caught wind of what we were doing and we started building another app. And then after two years, we kind of picked our heads up and like, well, I guess this is what we're doing now. (laughs) (laughs) This is what we do. (laughs) This is what we do. Um, Yeah. And that's what we've been doing ever since. And so, um, so you talked a little bit about like the transition, but what did that really look like when you were, so you knew you were writing algorithms, but you wanted to get into pure tech. Like, how did you leap into that how did you how did you you're like so we figured out how to write an app like what did that look like in detail yeah that's a good question so when i did my mobile payment startup i did not know how to actually write code um i okay, knew I, I have i you know with my engineering education and just kind yeah. of being that mindset i know i'm technical mm-hmm. right and i knew how to like structure the problem and and basically the fundamentals of what everything worked but i didn't right. know how actually how to write the code myself mm-hmm. i found that very frustrating so around that time i started kind of picking it up just because i was like irritated that i couldn't do it yeah yeah and um and then when i went to the hedge fund i started to write more code but it was it was um functional programming right yep um which is a little different than application development or sure um, and, but that kind of got me into it. But when I decided, when I decided to make the switch, I wanted to get really back into tech because that was where the interesting problems were for me and building, building products, not, not just, you know, moving money and financial instruments. Right. Yeah. I wanted to build products. Mm-hmm. I realized that like, in order to really build the products, I need to understand what I'm doing. I want to be able to do it myself, learned a little bit of Django and, um, yeah, fundamentals of Python, and and then when I got hired at the e-commerce company, I learned Ruby on Rails, C Sharp, uh, and again, it was all this sort of um, a lot of trial and error, banging mm-hmm. my head against the table. Mm-hmm. Well, you said a couple of things. I first of all, you were talking about the feedback cycle in software. That's one hundred percent why I was drawn to it. It's like I'm in. 
I just got this feedback recently. Like I'm always working on my patience. I'm an impatient person, which I think makes me a great entrepreneur, yep. but I love that. I'm like, it was, it was like mind blowing to me where you could like get immediate. I, I, error messages never bothered me. I've heard, you know, newbies be like, Oh, I got error. I was like, yes, that's information. That's information. I always love that. And then the other thing you said is, um, about product and about solving a problem and about, this is one of the things I harp on all the time. It's really hard to learn code. It's much easier to solve a problem, create yeah. product. There's a bigger motivation there. And I think it's just more, it's more interesting. Like it's, it's, that's where the, the kind of um, fun happens because you know that you're building something that is going to really solve a real world problem. And I think that's, right. maybe that's that tangibility that you were looking for um, kind of out of engineering. It is. Yeah. Cause I had, uh, you know, I took C plus plus in college. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a prereq for, you know, one of my yeah. baseline courses. And I was like, this is lame. I, I yeah. didn't get it. <laughs> right. And I was in college during the dot com bust. Mm -hmm. And so I like watched that happen and all my CS undergrad friends, I was just kind of like, you know, like you guys are so, you guys are in such trouble. Yeah. Um, yes. And it, so it kind of, it, it took me a really long time uh, to find out that that feedback loop exists. And it wasn't really until I started to solve a problem, mm -hmm. try to solve a problem that I had Right. when I discovered it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Curious okay. to hear what role parenthood played in your career decisions? Because I know like not everyone's going to say, oh, uh, I have, I want to have a lot of kids or I have a lot of kids. I think I'll start a company too. That makes a lot of sense. But like what, how did those, how did that kind of play out for you? Yeah. So I, um, as I said, I, I've always been entrepreneurial and wanted to run my own thing. The entrepreneurial side of me comes from um, or a lot of the reason for that is because I have a, a pretty high comfort level for, for risk, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like I, I, um, I'm willing to accept a pretty decent amount of downside in order to achieve the upside that comes with yeah. being an entrepreneur long-term. Mm -hmm. But having kids definitely changed that calculation a little bit. Right, because you have to eat. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you know. I always tell, I tell if I didn't have kids, I'd be living on a couch and somewhere eating ramen every day mm -hmm. yeah. until I made it right. Yeah. Like I, I can, I could personally live in squalor. Um, <laughs> like it wouldn't bother me at all, but you know, well, Robin's having, not going to do that. <laughs> you, bro, Robin's not going to do that. And, and having kids is like, I don't want my kids to live in squalor. So like, it's, yeah, it, it's, uh, it definitely changes the calculation for, for um, the decisions that I make and kind of the, what I'm, it also changes kind of how I, how I spend my time. Cause again, I, you know, I would, was, um, you know, if I didn't have uh, a family life to balance, um, then I would probably work, you know, 16, 18 hours a day. Yeah. Um, a lot of days. And that's not something that I'm, you know, having a family, that's not something I'm even interested, remotely interested in doing. Like I don't, in fact, I think it's very unhealthy to do that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's made me a much more patient entrepreneur, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, forced me to be a more patient entrepreneur. 
Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I think that being a father is, and a parent has made me a much better leader um, in the company. So good. I love that. Yeah. I love it. That was fun. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's always, um, you know, because our community, we're, we're mom focused and we're female focused. Mm-hmm. And um, so often, I think moms think, you know, that, that they're the only ones thinking about this. And that's not true. All of us who are parents, or this is the other thing I see all the time, people who are not parents, but they're taking care of their own parents. Like that's really common. Sure. If you don't have kids, you're typically the one who's helping with your parents. And when, when they're not super elderly, that might not be super hands-on, but as they get older. And so we all have, um, you know, responsibilities that, you know, can seem like this thing, oh, well, it's slowing me down, but it actually can help us be a better person. I know I definitely, yes. I definitely am, can handle so much more after having four kids. I mean, when you have, you know, four kids, it's like, yeah, you know, other, other things aren't as uh, stressful, you know, you, you're like, yeah, we'll make it, we'll figure it out, whatever it is. That's right. If I don't get it done today, I'll get it done tomorrow or yep. next week or whatever. It's fine. Yep. Totally. Not the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a little bit more about your work. What about, is there a time where you had like a really hard deadline? Can you tell us about what it was like and how you handled it? Yeah, I, I, uh, I have had two huge deadlines in tech uh, that were both PR related. Oh. So, yes, so the, the, the leader in charge of the project, um, I won't say names or companies or anything, but the, the, in, in each, this is two separate cases, but follow the same pattern. The leader in charge of the project had uh, published a, a, a launch date mm-hmm. with, with a, um, to like their PR channels promising that we're launching on this date weeks and weeks in advance. Like I think in one case it was like two months in advance while really even before engaging, engaging us in the, in <gasps> the project. Oh my gosh. Yes. I was going to say, did you know that this was the deadline? You didn't, they weren't even your client yet. They weren't even our client yet. And well, one of the, uh, yes, they weren't even our client yet. And it, it's, um, if you've ever been in that situation, it's just, it's just horrible. And, you know, everyone's kind of optimistic at the beginning and things are going well, but you'll learn as you get into the projects, like you get 80% of the way done, you have 20% of the project left. That is a, that is when everything hits the fan and things get really hard. And that last 15, 10, 15% of the project takes 90% of the time and effort. Cause it's, it's all about, you know, polish and getting it right and fixing bugs and doing all these things. And, and when you're on a, when you're on a hard deadline like that, where, you know, you have um, journalists that are embargoed, uh, but have already written their piece on this thing coming out the next day or, you know, in a week and you're probably realistically another two or three weeks away from actually being done (laughs) correctly. It's just a terrible experience. That's the one thing that I don't like necessarily about startup culture as it's portrayed Mm -hmm. is that it's, you know, grind, 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 no matter what. I, mm-hmm. I don't agree with that sentiment. I don't like right. it. And I don't think it's necessary. 
And, but there are some um, company cultures that are just like that. And I don't, anyway, this, this one, this one particular project um, with that hard deadline, it kind of forced me to live that for a while and uh, made me very grateful for <laughs> not doing that. So how I handled it now is I don't get involved with hard deadlines. <laughs> I love it. I think um, I couldn't agree more. I I lived that. That was like that was my entrance into uh, the work world after graduating college because I was one of those CS majors and I, I yeah. I'm just a, I'm just a shade shade older than you, Eric. So I, I was in just a shade ahead. I I actually had a job, but which quickly which quickly transitioned into not a job. But um, so, <laughs> but we they they called it uh, flex leave where I was right <laughs> right. But they paid us, like I got paid like, I think 20% of my salary and then I got to work at another job. So I was actually cool with it. It wasn't, it was fine. Yeah. But it was, it was programming round the clock. And now like in retrospect, I look and I'm like, well, of course I wasn't very good at two in the morning. And I know a lot of developers, like they do the late night thing and I am for sure an early bird. Like I like getting up early, but I would argue, I mean, it's fine if you like programming at two in the morning, but if it's your 19th hour, I now know you're not being effective. Like your right. brain, your cognitive, it's fine. I know when you're 22, you can stay up all night and it's not that big of a deal, but you're not as good. You're just not. And I think that that's a big part of, um, the, you know, I mean, we, you know, we both live in Raleigh-Durham area. We love that culture. It's very hardworking. People aren't lazy here. They just aren't, sure. they just aren't insane. They just don't, <laughs> they just don't do that. Um, so I, I really appreciate that and think that it, it does make sense. And so you've been able to get other deadlines accomplished without working like that. Is that, is that what you're telling me? Yes. Uh, yes, I, I think so. GitHub uh, has a, a, a pretty interesting policy on, on for how they approach deadlines okay. is they don't, they don't um, in, in particular deadlines set internally for as as a goal to hit are perfectly fine and reasonable and like you should do that right but the hard deadline that is uh coming from outside of your control yeah like you can't move yeah. is just a terrible policy like, that is super interesting okay i like yep. that that's that's cool to know okay so you have some control you've had some challenging clients i'm sure you've had some amazing clients you've worked through these systems over the years what do you like best about your job and then what do you find most challenging what i like best about my job is i really enjoy working on new problems frequently so my okay. company does um we we do some of our own product development internally but we don't have a the the one product that we work on constantly mm -hmm. so you know we have three or four new projects at minimum a year that we kind of get to flex our brains on and and work out and like new things it's like oh this is a completely different situation um or it's a you know a totally different business than we're used to dealing with um and it's that's fun to get involved with those new new uh new problems right mm -hmm. and new projects and the newness of it is great um, the thing that I find challenging about my particular business is that it force it, it, we don't often have, uh, the privilege of thinking 
like very long term. Yeah. It's just a, I guess it's just a personal preference of mm -hmm. like whether or not you would want to work on a bunch of different things or if you want to focus on one thing for a very long period of time. Um, but yeah. Yeah. But I do know that some of the more talented um, developers, they can get bored. Like I've definitely heard that sentiment. Like if they're working on, if they're internal and they're working on the same um, product for a long time and yep. you know, maintenance and tweaks and sometimes it's not that interesting of a problem it's just like code you've written a bunch of times you know i know that yeah. that can be a problem and a frustration tell me a little bit about like more about your ideal client like who do you so you you want to go from from zero to kind of product concept conception who who do you who do you want to show up at your in your inbox and 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 seek out your services so I don't know that I have necessarily an ideal client, but I can tell you that we have, uh, you know, I've observed a pattern of people that, that come to us. Yeah. Um, and that is typically somebody, whether an individual or an entity that has a uh, tremendous amount of domain expertise in their particular market mm -hmm. and have a like a pretty well-defined problem and some semblance of a solution that they're already selling, whether that's consulting services or some various off the shelf components that they've kind of patched together into a makeshift product, um, things like that. And then they, they, they kind of come to the conclusion that we need a, like our own product that is ours that we can then sell to, you know, as this, as the solution. And then that's when they come to us and we would help them build that product out. Mm -hmm. So that, um, yeah, that's been, that's, that's led to, uh, us working in a, in a wide range of industries. Right. I was just going to ask. Okay. But that profile of really, um, you know, having the, having a problem and a makeshift solution that needs a product around it. Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of where we fit in yeah cool super interesting thanks for going into that so sure. i i know that um a question a lot of people a lot of listeners are going to have um because you you hire you have you have a team and um i want to know like what do you look for when you hire and then can you give us this is one of the favorite questions can you give us like two secret weapon questions that you have um like from an insider's hire you know the ceo you're going to hire someone Give us your good stuff. What are you going to ask people so that my community can, they can prep and, and get ready to answer those. So the go-getter self-starter, um, I try to do that. I, I don't do that. When I, when I interview people, it's more, um, I want to get to know them. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that I have, it's very, I, I try to be very conversational. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have a specific set of questions that I ask. Okay. Um, the, the two things that I do is I try to go into a restaurant setting. Okay. When I'm doing face-to-face. I, like -to -face. I yeah. want, I like to see how uh, people interact with, with servers and waiters. Uh, how they, do they clean their, do they, you know, participate in cleaning up the plates? Do they say please and thank you? Do they, you know what I mean? Are they gracious? That kind of thing. Um, 
I just like observing that. It kind of gives me a, a a little bit of an insight into their into their personality and their character. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the self starter thing, I, I I what I try to do is I take a, a, a depending on what skill level they're coming in or they you know state that they're coming in, I I give them a coding challenge that mm-hmm. they, is a take home, and um, I can I can learn a lot from that based on how they approach it. Mm-hmm. So. That's awesome. Okay, so two two questions on that. I can't. Yeah. I don't think I've ever talked about server backgrounds. Do you, I mean, that's how. Maybe I told you. You know, I waited tables. That's how I paid for college. Kevin and I both. That's how. I we, did not know that. No. Yeah. Yes. So I have this strong um, opinion that everyone should like. My kids are gonna. They're gonna work in some type of service, yep. food service industry. That is. I actually think everybody should have to do that. I think that's one of the best educational, you know, subjects you can learn. Um, it, it helps in, in networking too, just breaking yes. the ice. Uh, yes. Yeah. Totally. Partic- particularly for engineering types who like, you know, we're not known for our people skills usually. <laughs> so. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that the, you know, the mark of a true leader is what, how they, how they help the people that they're, that they, you know, that work for them. Like, how do they work for for the people that you know purportedly work for them? Right. You can you just get a lot out of kind of watching people do that. Yeah, that's good. I'd like to dive in. So we talked a little. Your hiring is great. That's great for general, but you hire junior developers, and so yep. I think what would be really interesting is if you could help articulate what would you expect a junior developer to do. Like even just a few examples and then maybe contrast that with what would you expect someone to do at like three or five years when you're kind of out of that junior phase? Sure. Um, so my, my business partner and I, have you ever heard of something called the meerkat method mm-hmm. of learning? I think so. The meerkat method of learning. Oh my gosh. I got to get this. No, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, supposedly it's been a long time since I've read up on this, but supposedly, um, meerkats out in the wild, the way that they teach their young how to survive is they like, let them go figure things out. Okay. And then they only help them when they get stuck. Okay. And, uh, Grant and I take that approach really kind of throughout the life cycle of, of all of our engineers, whether it's day one or, you know, day 500. Um, is we give them something to do or an assignment or, um, you know, a directive that is perhaps slightly out of their comfort zone or, you know, um, just past where, where they would typically be. Right. Mm -hmm. And say, go figure it out. And, and then, but encourage the, you know, then to come back and, you know, once they bump up against the wall, um, to come, come to us. Um, mm-hmm. And we do this, that, that's, we, we do this with our coding challenges mm-hmm. before pre-hire. We do this post-hire. That's sort of how we onboard people. Um, we'll give them, if we have a live project to, to work on at the time, we'll give them a piece of the live project to do. Oh, cool. That, uh, you know, is again, is like slightly out of their comfort zone. So it, it kind of depends on how junior, junior we're talking about. 
-hmm. You know, are you somebody who's fresh out of a coding boot camp? Are you a recent CS undergrad? Because uh, those are again slightly different profiles. Um, or are have you already been you know in the field for a year, but maybe you're you've been working on Ruby and Rails, and now you're coming to us and we're you know a Node.js job. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say that in general, the for at our company, a junior developer should be able to touch everything on, on the stack, but uh, anything that requires significant architecture uh -huh. considerations or is um, something that's critical to the business function of our client, uh -huh. whether it's, it's um, security, uh, anything to do with financial transactions. Um, those are the, really the two big ones. Uh, we would not expect a junior developer we wouldn't assign that to a junior developer. That would be one of the senior groups, senior guys. So I just want to clarify a little bit. So a junior developer yeah. is going to really um, maybe improve an area, add elements, maybe add functionality to elements, a lot of UI stuff, but not not add to anything in the architecture. Not. They may do basic scaffolding things, but there's you know there's there are. Um, yeah, instances where it's like, how should how should this um, how should these two database models interact mm -hmm. in such a way so that it can be extensible down the road? You know, um, that's where that's where uh, a senior person would come in. Got it. Cool. Super cool. All right. So if someone you're you're a Node.js shop, someone's going to learn um, JavaScript. Mm -hmm. What are can you can you give us some tips on learning it and then maybe three skills that a, that a newbie should focus on so they're trying to get hired like what i always tell like they always try to learn too much so i'm always i'm always saying okay let's focus on skills that are really going to get you hired or get you to that next level what are like three skills like just focus on those three do those really well what would you say those are for a junior person i would probably say that your prospects of getting hired are best focused on the front end okay. and learning one of the popular front end libraries um, at least to a familiar sense uh -huh. is going to improve your chances uh, for us that's react we use we use react exclusively uh -huh. and that is a world once you say, I'm going to learn React, well, that leads you down a path of a thousand other things. Uh -huh. um, other shops would be Angular shops. Uh, other shops would be um, Vue.js is another popular one. Um, I think that I haven't checked in a while, but I believe that React is still the most popular of those. And I don't know that I could so I would, I would probably try to dive deep into one of those libraries. Mm -hmm. um, Got it. And then within that, focusing on, what would you say within React? What are some? Proper state management. Ooh. It's a loaded term. Got it. R React is a, 
the, the big difference between React and Angular is Angular is two-way binding and React is one-way binding. Oh. Um, and so managing the flow of data that's coming through the front-end components uh, is, a, a, it's the, probably the most difficult thing to wrap your head around when you're getting into React and doing it correctly or under with, with the best practices, the, the, the state of the art of the time, right? Best practices is, um, is pretty important. Um, yeah, but that's, uh, you know, again, that, that's pretty deep. If you're looking at JavaScript in general, um, there's a uh, guy named Dan Abramov. I don't know if you've heard of him. I have, yep. Yeah, he's, he start, uh, I, I believe that he invented Redux which is a state management, a state management library that's cool. commonly, commonly used with React. But he has, uh, yeah, if you just Google him, he has great resources all the way from learning basic vanilla JavaScript up to like high level concepts. Um, yeah, and he's really dedicated a big portion of his career to educating on JavaScript. So, cool. Cool. so most of, most of my learning is, is, uh, uh, Googling and Stack Overflow and just kind of I, I think that the one of the big secrets about programming in general is that a good programmer is a really good um, is really good at query structure, you know. I love <laughs> good that. at good at good at searching Google. I love that. Definitely one of the biggest misconceptions for newbies. They're like I'm like they don't just have it all in their head, trust me. <laughs> I have I think in the 10 years that I've been doing this, I can count on one hand how many times that I've come across a truly novel situation that I couldn't find some help on on Stack Overflow. That's super cool. That's really good. Yeah, Stack okay. Overflow is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's the go-to resource for... But again, you have to kind of, like going, just going to Stack Overflow to learn JavaScript or coding would be, uh, overwhelming like you wouldn't be able to get anything out of that you have to be trying to solve something specific and know what to know how to ask the question that you're trying to figure out and then stack overflow is a great resource i love it i love it that's all awesome <clears throat> that's why we recommend like in our in our programs where we just start with a project because it's very much like back to what we talked about at the beginning if you have an interesting problem to solve, then you start to solve it. It's not about memorizing yep. the code. And I right. know like a lot of times newbies are like, just give me the line of code. What's the line of code? And that is the mistake, right? Because it's understanding what the problem is and then knowing how to search appropriately to find the specific way to solve that. That's the skill, not the line of code. But it's, hard to, it's hard to conceptualize that. But if you don't have a specific enough problem, a question, like you're just saying, you're not, you can read Stack Overflow until you're blue in the face. But if you don't, if you don't know how to ask that, and it's going to take a few times to ask it correctly in the beginning, probably. Sure. Yeah. And, the, you know, I think that, you know, there is, there is skill in elegance, mm -hmm. in, you know, becoming elegant at writing code or, you know, doing a, writing some, really nifty recursion function instead of a whole bunch of if then statements right um but uh that comes that comes with time that's really the difference between junior and senior yeah. 
is. Yeah, that's super interesting. Okay, so we've got a woman in the audience right now and she's considering a career in tech. She's thinking that JavaScript developer could be the path for her. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for her? Take the you are techie course on JavaScript and see if that's right. No. <laughs> awesome <laughs> advice. Thank you so much. And and uh, so in general, and uh, any right. other advice besides yeah, sign up for our for our JavaScript course that we have coming out very soon. Um, as you said before, you know, try to try to try to build something using JavaScript and see how far you get. Um, see if you like it. JavaScript is a weird language. It's super powerful, but it's also like messy and gross to a lot of people. Like it's not, yeah, it's not, um, it's not always pretty to look at. And people, if you get into projects where there's JavaScript written ugly or badly or everything in between, it's difficult to deal with, but it's also, my goodness, you can do anything with it. Um, so it's also amazing, but, um, it's uh yeah i would just my my advice would be to try to build something real if possible but you know kind of dummy if not possible but ideally several things but yeah try to build that's, something that's a great advice eric thank you so much for being here i enjoyed our conversation as i always do and i look forward to the next one thanks thank you Hey, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to sign up for the UR Techie email list. Imagine being in the tech job of your dreams. Join me to get the strategies, training, and never-ending support to get hired. Sign up at URTechie.com. That's Y-O-U-A-R-E-T-E-C-H-Y.com. I'll see you next time.